Welcome everyone to the Plus Full Color Podcast. This is your host, Joe Miner, and I am so happy to be here with you, and I am very excited to bring you another Friday edition of Plus Full Color. We have a fun episode for you today, but first, can I just address, uh, thank God for warm air, or thank Rihanna, or whoever you want to thank, but it is sunny and 65 in upstate New York, and I'm not a weather lady, but girl, if I was, I would be having a field day with how beautiful of a day it is. Anyway, aside from that, we have a great episode for you today. Um, later in the episode, we are going to be talking about the pandemic, and it's going to be a little more of a personal reflection. I know you're used to um, analysis or interviews or things like that, but today we are just tripping it back. We are approaching one year since I have been working from home, and we are past a year now, as of yesterday, as of the date of recording, as of yesterday, um, the World Health Organization, it would have been a year since they have declared COVID-19 a pandemic. So I'm definitely going to want to spend some time reflecting on her today. And in addition to that, we're going to be talking about the drag queen Raven and her black fishing incident. So if you want to hear more of that, stick around. Um, but anyway, besides all that, how are we? How are we doing? Are we feeling good today? Are we stretching enough? Um, I am really excited because with the weather becoming more warm and becoming more springtimey, I can actually get outside and um, exercise and walk and get some endorphins going. Um, I I mentioned later in the episode, but I am definitely not one of the Puerto Vallarta gays that goes out and parties. We just sit and we drink wine and we hang out with our cats. So um, I'm really excited to not have to do that anymore. So let's just appreciate life for that. And besides that, I'm actually feeling pretty good. This is a chill episode of the podcast today, and it's going to be a little bit different. It's not as statistical. It's not as political. It's not as any of that this week. But I hope you enjoy it. I still worked hard on it. Um, I'm really excited for next week. We're going to have Alexis Ingram on the podcast. If you don't know who she is, she's a fun TikToker, YouTube personality, just an amazing human. So I'm really excited to talk to her next week. So in the meantime, this week, I hope you enjoy me and just our one-on-one time. A shorter episode today, but I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, let's get over to the TCAP. You are now boarding the TCAP. Today on the TCAP, we're going to talk about black fishing, and we are going to talk about the recent accusations. Um, I'm I personally would just say they're observations, not so much an accusation, but the observations of black fishing of 
the world-renowned drag queen Raven. So if you don't know who Raven is, Raven was a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 2 and RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 1, and now she is actually RuPaul's um, personal makeup artist. She does RuPaul's makeup for every event she does, every television appearance, every filming. Raven travels with RuPaul as her personal makeup artist. Um, and Raven still does drag. Um, to my knowledge, it, it looks like it's less of the gay bar drag and it's more of the getting in drag for television these days. And that's not a read. That's not anything. I'm, it's literally just me observing. Um, so before you try to spin that little shady thing, it's not. But so th just to give you context for who Raven is, and Raven is a white man. Um, under the makeup, under the corsets and the bodysuits and the dresses, Raven is a white man. Um, and he's a gay white man, but Raven's a white man. And Raven has always been pretty tan. So Raven is like from California, lives in California. Think like any white guy or whoever, white person that spends too much time in the sun and or the tanning beds uh, and their skin gets like brown, but it's still like white, but it's like a tan white person. So Raven's always been pretty tan. Um, think like Snooky in the winter time. That's kind of what Raven's skin tone is. And um, so Raven paints her face. She does her makeup pretty dark as well. Um, usually she still looks like a tan white person, but there are definitely moments where she pushes that line of being too dark. And there was a photo that she released of herself as well as an, an appearance on TV. So first of all, let's talk about this picture. Um, I can put the picture up on Patreon and, um, just give some commentary about that so you understand what I'm talking about. But there's a picture of Raven and her face is literally like, she is like dark. She is like dark skin black. Like that's what she looks like. She doesn't look like a white person anymore. She looks like someone of an ambiguous ethnicity who is dark skin and it's all makeup and it's definitely pushing the line of, mm, this is this artistry anymore or is this appropriation? Additionally, she had a, she had a few appearances on TV recently um, on RuPaul's Drag Race. She came in to kind of greet the contestants. And th there was a drag queen on Twitter who said that Raven entered the workroom in dark mode. And I died laughing because when I, I, so I, I am a fan of Drag Race. Um, to be clear, to be open about that, I am definitely a fan of Drag Race. Um, drag, drag Race is not the most perfect, the greatest TV show in the world. Um, and they have definitely done some very questionable things in the past um, and have questionable policies currently. So, uh, when I talk about Drag Race and my in um, reference from that show, just know that I am aware of the various complications around RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, let's get back to this. So, um, yeah, so Raven walked into the workroom and she was darker than RuPaul. Like, I looked at her and I was like, girl, like, if you are 
darker than black people that are in that room with you, you might be too dark. This brings up a multitude of complicated questions, specifically around black fishing. So what is black fishing, you might ask? Black fishing is when non-black people use black features, black makeup, um, you know, black hair, um, clothes that are associated with black people, when they do things to make themselves racially ambiguous and to kind of... Um, appear in a certain way to appeal to a mass audience. So using black culture so that people perceive you to be black yourself. Um, that is black fishing. Black fishing is in the same vein as appropriation, but um, it's a little more specific than appropriation because appropriation is a variety of things, a variety of ways that you can take a marginalized culture and um, use it for your own beneficial purposes. Um, but black fishing specifically is when is when the goal is to be perceived as black or as racially ambiguous for personal gain. Um, and, it sounds insane that you would try to darken your skin for personal gain, but here's the thing. White people love black culture, but white people do not always love black people. And this is that very instance of white people taking black culture because they like black culture, but removing it from the black person and putting it on themselves. So when someone like Raven, a white man who gets in drag and paints herself to be racially ambiguous, the problem with that is that there are black drag queens who are not booked because they are black and they go out in the world and face real world consequences for existing as a black person. And so for then for you to paint yourself black for adoration, for praise, for money, um, that, like, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain why that's not good. It's essentially wearing blackface, but you're not drawing on the, um, the traditional caricature of a black face on your face. So you're literally just painting yourself black. To me, that's the same as blackface. Um, but, you know, Raven is doubling down on this. Um, she has posted on her Instagram a picture of herself when she was a kid that was really tan. Um, and she has since posted uh, like a, I think she's selling stickers or posters of her face that is too dark. And um, she captioned it with, um, I just don't give a fuck. So... This is someone who has been accused by various people online. And, you know, not everybody's going to be nice to you online. That's kind of the culture. Um, it's not good and you shouldn't be sending people death threats. But at the same time, the internet is like um, a famous drag queen once recently described trying to control fans online um, as trying to control the weather. It's just not going to happen. Um Anyway, where was I going with that? Um, so some people have not been very kind to her, obviously, but the message has been the same. She's been getting various messages about 
um, blackfishing. And her response has been to double down, say, you know what? No, bitch, this is my face. This is how I look. I've always been this dark. There's not a problem and you can't tell me so. Um, and I think a lot of people are defending her right now, saying that this is her art. This is just her expression. It's not too dark. There are white people that do look that dark um, and kind of minimizing the problem. And the issue is that this is someone with a platform and that has the ability to speak up and to defend black people in a very tangible way. And she could apologize. She could say, you know what? Yeah, I think I was a little too dark. Let me see how I can correct my makeup to, to still paint tan, but to not appropriate. Um, but she's chosen to double down as a white cis gay man. She has chosen to double down on painting her face that dark. And on top of all of that, I think another really frustrating thing that I've been observing, oh God, something's falling in the office that I'm recording in. Um, something else that's really frustrating is that I've noticed a few people of color who have the same size platform as Raven coming out and supporting her. Um, whether I, I've seen mostly kind of covert ways of supporting her, just kind of openly saying like Raven's beautiful. Her makeup recently has been amazing. Um, just kind of ways like that. I think a lot of people have been defending her. Um, and I think what happens is that white people hear from some black or Latinx or Asian or indigenous, just people of color. I think they hear from some of them that what they're doing is okay, but they're missing the fact that three, four, 15, or even a hundred people cannot speak on behalf of an entire community. They could never, even if you had the most representation within the black community as possible, that whole group could still not speak for the entire black community. And I think what is happening is we, we have this conversation where, um, people are saying to Raven, like, Hey, listen, like this is not necessarily very sensitive or very smart. And she's doubling down and she's saying, like, you know what? Fuck this. I can do that. And I suspect that some of the people of color in her ear that are telling her that this is okay, I'm sure some of them are trying to comfort her because what we are taught as, for myself anyway, as a black person and biracial person, I think we are implicitly taught that we need to cater to white people's feelings and that we need to make sure that they're comfortable in the midst of my own discomfort. And I think so many of us uh, are expected to negotiate and navigate the feelings of white people that might be offended that something that they're doing is racist. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to speculate on Raven's friends or what they might be thinking because I don't know them. But it would not surprise me if there was some of that at hand here. Um, so, you know, what I would like to see from Raven is I would like to see acknowledgement of what is being done. Cause even if she doesn't agree that it is racist, I think you still need to take a second and say, you know what, I'm getting enough backlash for this that I think that there is actually an issue. So let me go investigate. Let me take down this post and investigate. Um, so I would have loved to see some kind of response that, acknowledge that she is not the 
source of information on racism or upon microaggressions or on um, appropriation. But by doubling down, by saying, you know what, I don't give a fuck, let me monetize this. To me, that's saying you really don't give a fuck, do you? Um, So hopefully Raven does better in the future. I'm not holding my breath. Um, For now, I'm going to make it a priority to not engage with any content that Raven is featured in because she does um, a few YouTube shows that I watch. So um, I'm going to have to not support her going forward. And that's, that's my personal way of just acknowledging that this is not okay. Um, you can call it canceling for me. It's, I am a viewer, a consumer, and in a capitalist society, you have to choose what to consume based on your values. And Raven does not fit within my value set. So (laughs) it just is what it is. Um, I would love to see her do better. I'm not I would not close off the door to someone and say you can never do better. So until I'm proven wrong, I won't really be engaging with anything that Raven does. Um, Will that hurt her long term? Probably not. She has a huge core fan base of white people, but that's my contribution to the world if I have one for the day. Anyway, this has been the tea cap. <laughs> this has been a chill, but also very sub- aggressive kind of tea cap moment. So thanks for being here with me. Um, and we will just give you a quick breather, take a stretch, do a little shimmy, and we'll be right back. And we are back. Thank you for listening to the Plus Full Color Podcast. So today we are going to talk about the pandemic. And I know that we're obviously sick of hearing about it. But for me, this time of year is actually pretty significant for me because it was about a year ago that I started working from home. And um, for those of you who work from home, you'll understand what I'm talking about when I say that this transition to working from home and only from home has been life-altering, really. Um, it And that's putting it lightly. <laughs> and I want to joke about it, but it's hard to because it really took a toll on my everyday life. You know, it took me a while to name it. And it wasn't until I started going to therapy that I was able to name the fact that the reason the pandemic has been so hard for me, the reason that working from home specifically is so difficult is because I was dealing with a loss of independence. I used to have a whole routine that I was completely independent from anything else in my life. Um, You know, regardless of what happened at home or what else is going on internally, I get up for work every day, I go to work, I take the bus, I see people. There are some people I don't know, but I see every day. I have, you know, little shops that I used to be regulars at, um, on my way to work or on my way home from work, I would stop at Walgreens or go grocery shopping. Or um, There's just so much of my life that I used to do completely on my own. And when I was sent home to work and 
it, it was jarring. The initially it was kind of fun. So right, the first couple of weeks of work from home, you're like, oh man, it's like getting nicer outside. I'm home. I can do work from my couch. I can drink Mountain Dew in the morning. Like there are so many things that you're just like, yes, we're on vacation, and that's because you think that it's only a couple weeks of quarantine. And then a couple weeks turns into a month of quarantine. And then a month turns into three months. And then a month turns into, we'll, we'll come back in the fall. Or we'll come back in the fourth quarter. And, you know, now we are approaching a year. We're over a year of dealing with the pandemic in the States. And for me, we are at about a year of work from home. And, yeah, it's been hard. It's been crazy and difficult. Um especially coming out of a long winter. It snowed for what felt like forever. Um, and there are just, besides even just working from home and being stuck at home, 2020 was such a crazy fucking year. And I was not prepared for it at all. I was not prepared to work from home and then also read about the killings of Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd um, on my birthday this past year, 2020 on my birthday is when George Floyd was murdered. Um, and so seeing things like that was really jarring and uh, horrifying and traumatizing because you're hearing about all these stories that are happening. And for me, like the community I live in, it feels quite isolated. It feels pretty, um, it feels pretty like, removed from people <laughs> and it's that is hard even just living on a road where like it's not a high traffic area um and i'm i'm reading and listening to these stories and then i go outside and nothing feels affected nothing feels changed nothing feels different it feels like a regular day except you now have the knowledge that there are slews of murders of black people by police. And it's not that this was new information. I think it's the fact that when I'm, when I can't be around people outside of my own household, I don't know how the world is really feeling about it. I go to Twitter, but I don't know if Twitter is a accurate representation of how the world is feeling because it's catered to your algorithm, it's catered to your liking and things that you search. And so I wasn't ever really certain if that was giving me an accurate picture of what was going on outside. Um, so yeah, it, it has been a scary time um, to live during a pandemic. Um, you know, the past year we saw injustices against trans people. So many trans women murdered this past year. More um, I don't know the exact statistic, but it was over 45 uh, people murdered, um, which has been the highest in a long time of transgender murders. Um, so seeing things like that, seeing people that I consider to be part of my community and that are part of my community, um, seeing them fear for their lives while I'm locked down and I can't go outside. Um, like we can go outside, but like I can't interact with the world like I used to. Um, so seeing things like that, and then also over the court, it is so crazy to really pick and think through everything you've done the past year. But, um, you know, about a year ago is when I left Christianity and I, I stopped being a Christian. 
And it wasn't because I got sick of the rules. It was because of the church's response to all these events, seeing people that call themselves Christians and people that I went to school with um, saying things like, well, there, there were drugs in George Floyd's system. That's why it's okay that he died. Um, or like things like, oh, well, being queer is a choice anyway, so that's why you don't deserve rights. My alma mater this year, since I, maybe since they had more time on their hands, my alma mater within the past year um, signed on an agreement with a, a lawsuit to try to ban or to, to try to allow queer people to be fired for being queer. Um, so I had to deal with that. And then on top of that, you know, see, seeing so many Christians respond so disgustingly um, I had to step back and say, like, I can't break bread with you anymore. So um, that was really hard. Um, there's a lot of moments that happened this past year. A lot of, a lot of moments, a lot of events. Um, and yeah, it's been scary. It has been wild. It has been uh, more drastically life-altering than I could have imagined. Um, I feel like I'm in a better place now because now I know and now I've learned. Um, over the past year, I've had to make some really hard personal decisions and um, I've had to set boundaries with people that are close to me and I've had to do what's best for me. And this caused me to pause and realize like, wait, I, I'm not prioritizing myself 100%. I'm not coming first. In the midst of all this fucking craziness, I hadn't learned what it what it was to put myself first in anything I did. So I had to learn that this past year. Um, so every, with all of this going on and the backdrop being the pandemic, uh, it has been a wild ass year. Um, and so I... I'm hopeful that things are getting better. Um, like I said, my fiance was able to be vaccinated. So I live with someone who cannot give me COVID-19, which is great. Um, and I can't give him COVID-19, which is incredible. I was always so scared about that. Um, and, you know, hopefully we're able to get more vaccines out soon. And hopefully we're able to get out of this as soon as possible. I'm not holding my breath. I stopped holding my breath months ago because um, it really is such a crazy life we're living in, isn't it? I just wanted to quickly shout out the patrons over on patreon.com for supporting me and being so kind and helping this platform continue to get off the ground. So I just want to send a formal thank you to Courtney, Matt, Joy, Jesse, Anita, Lindsay, Sarah, Kyla, and Sophia. Thank you each of you for your part in making this podcast what it is today. Um, because of this podcast, I've mentioned this a few times before, but because of the um, patrons over on Patreon, I've been able to hire a friend out to help me edit audio. And, um, you know, your support just tells me that people are invested and people want to hear more. And each of them who have donated, 
are investing in a queer POC space. So thank you for doing that. Um, and if you like anything that you hear on the podcast, if something speaks to you and you're just really feeling like this is something that you enjoy, please go over to patreon.com slash plus full color to support. You can, um, there are three different tiers you can do. It's $1, $5 and $10. And, um, by donating, you get access to, um, special posts that no one else gets to see. So I have a segment called TCAP on filter that I'm doing a few times a month and, um, there'll be Q and a opportunities over there. Um, and I'm developing more video content now that I have access to video editing software. So, um, go over to patreon.com slash plus full color for behind the scenes goodies and anything else. And honestly, if you just want to support a queer black podcast. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those of you who have already donated and who are already supporting. You're the best. Number one, the best of all time. Anyway, let's get back to the rest of the episode. All right. So now that we kind of addressed all the shit parts of the pandemic, I do kind of want to talk about the things that I learned because, um, you know, you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to become stronger from this experience because remember, we are collectively going through a trauma together. So the purpose of trauma is not to learn from it. We go through trauma because things happen that we could not control that hurt us and affected us in really negative ways. So you never have to take this stance of like, well, everything happens for a reason. Like, no, sometimes things are just fucking shitty and we got to get through it. Um, so, but even, even, even so I want to talk about the things that I did learn this year because I feel like this past year working from home and, um, you know, having a partner who is a healthcare worker, spending a lot of time by yourself at home, you do a lot of reflection and you do a lot of introspection and a lot of personal work. Um, so some of the things that I learned about myself during the pandemic and about the world during the pandemic, um, have really gotten me through. So, The number one thing I kind of learned throughout this whole process is obviously in the importance of mental health. And I knew mental health was important prior, but for me as someone who was working from home and I'm not one of those Puerto Vallarta gays, so I wasn't going out partying or anything like that. I was one of the many people who, when they were told to stay home, we stayed home. And so uh, for me, there were a lot of moments where you really have to take care of yourself. Like when you, especially like when you're working from home and you have a partner who is in healthcare, sometimes their hours a little bit longer. So you have to entertain yourself, but also you have to keep yourself healthy and and well and doing okay. Like towards the beginning of the pandemic was, it was super difficult because, you know, like I said, I was so used to leaving and coming back and having my own routine, but all that was taken from me. And so I I had to figure out ways to keep myself feeling okay, not just happy, just healthy and eating every day and drinking water and going for walks. And, you know, you, you have to invest in yourself. And so this year, I think I've invested in myself more than I ever have, um, Prior to this year, I didn't really have a rigid skincare routine. Um, Now I do. And I've had to develop little things like that to help me feel more like a person. Because when you wake up and, you know, I think a lot of you out there can relate. When you wake up and you sign into work, every day can kind of feel like Groundhog Day. Because 
everything's pretty much the same besides what is happening on your little computer. And so um, this year, I really spent a lot of time investing in myself, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually, every, every way that I had to invest in myself and advocate for myself, I did. Um, for instance, the beginning of the pandemic, I left Christianity altogether. Um, which is insane because it feels like forever ago that I did, but you know, it was only a year ago that I officially severed ties with anything related to Christian anything. And I had to do that because that was, that was a long time coming. I, I had been de deconstructing really for years. And when I left the church, I had a lot of people being like, oh, I wish you would have told us or like people saying that I didn't fill them in on my processing time as if they had a right to that processing in the first place. But really, I had a lot of folks who were shocked. And for me, it's not shocking. You know, recently I was going through my Instagram story archives and for the past four years, I can see a steady transition and a steady change and shift in who I am. And for me, for people to be so shocked, that just told me that they weren't paying attention and they weren't really invested. And so, you know, I left Christianity because obviously in the everything going on with um, racial justice and queer justice, the church has at every step been stepping on top of progress and refusing to let society move forward. And it's not just the fact that, you know, kind old ladies are homophobic. You look at even people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who profess a deep faith in God, a deep faith in Jesus. And you have folks like that who are trying to prevent anyone else from becoming equal to them. And there and her stance is backed up by Christianity. It's backed up by Christian principles. It's not just one bad apple. I think sometimes people want to treat the Christian church like they treat police. They want to want to be like, well, one bad apple doesn't spoil the bunch. Actually, scientifically, it does. It absolutely does. <laughs> so, um, so part of investing in myself was leaving that community. Um, another part of investing myself in myself is learning how to be assertive. You know, based on my social media presence and who I am on the podcast, you may not guess that I really struggle with assertiveness, but I do. At, at my core, I'm not necessarily a people pleaser, but I am someone, I'm an em empath, and I know a lot of times you hear people say, I'm an empath, I want to, um, I don't know, heal racism with incense. Like, I think that's kind of the vibe people get from the term empath. But for me, what that means is that I have experienced traumas in my life that made me believe that I had to put everyone else's emotional well-being over my own. To me, that's what being an empath means. <laughs> it's not this mystical, magical, transformative, like, oh, I'm an empath, I'm going to heal the world. It's like, no, girl, I don't think empaths are just born. I think empaths are created through paths of trauma. Um, and so for me, that was having to unpack trauma within myself to learn and to try to figure out why I felt like everyone else's emotional well-being mattered more than my own. And I've experienced things this past year where I really had to uh, put myself first and I had to say, you know what? I love so many people in my life, but I need to start showing up for myself and just, you know, without pulling myself up by my bootstraps, pulling myself up, girl. 
I had to get it together. And I did. And I feel like I absolutely did. And am I ever going to be perfect? No, I'm not going to be. But I I worked every day on becoming more assertive. And assertiveness isn't this domineering. It doesn't mean giving people rules like you have to follow this and that's that. For me, assertiveness is setting boundaries. It's saying I will not be a part of this system or this community if it continues to be abusive. Or I will not continue to honor uh, a friendship or a relationship if it becomes such that I, I can't be fully myself or, or there's not full transparency there. I had to learn that. Um, and I think the pandemic exacerbated that because when you do spend as much time alone as I do, there is so much time that you could be obsessing and tearing yourself down. But I've worked really hard every day to, instead of tearing myself down with my alone time, finding ways to build myself and finding ways to advocate for myself and finding ways to support myself. Um, obviously, I am part of communities and I am part of a loving relationship and I have wonderful friends. But at the end of the day, you have to fight for yourself and you have to live for yourself. You can live knowing that your life affects other people's lives and you can live intertwined with other people. But at the end of the day, you still have to be checking in on yourself and you still have to be doing the work for yourself. Because no matter how loving relationship I'm in or how great my friends are, or how wonderful my mom is or anyone else in my life, no matter how great those things are, if I'm not working on myself, the things that are fucking up in my life continue to fuck up. And the things that are, are impossible for me to overcome continue to be impossible to overcome. And the things that hurt other people continue to hurt other people. And so for me, realizing that was huge. Is life-altering, really. I feel like before the pandemic, I had this view of assertiveness that said I have to avoid it because I'm going to step on people's toes. But the thing with assertiveness is that you just say what you're able to do and what you will not accept and what you will accept and the things that you need from life and from people. And if someone else feels like you are stepping on their toes because you are trying to get your needs met, then that person's not worth your time. If you say, this is what I need, I need space or I need this or what, or whatever, and someone replies to you and says, well, like, it's not all about you, then guess what? They're projecting and they're not worth your time. So for me, it took a, this year was so much of soul searching, so much of um, unpacking and processing myself and just becoming more comfortable with myself than I ever have before. I think I was on a path to that for a long time, but I think I feel more secure in myself than I ever have. And I think so much of that is because I knew at the end of the day, before anyone else can be happy with me, I have to be happy with me. And no one else gets to determine what that would look like. No one else gets to determine what being happy for me and what supporting myself looks like. No one else knows what is absolutely best for me besides me. And other people can have the most well intentions for your, the, their best intentions, maybe I should say, for your life. And they can know you intimately and maybe know some of the things that you need. But at the end of the day, it's you with yourself. And you have to find out what that is. Because if there's unhappiness in your heart, no one else can fix that.
And so I took, I spent a lot of time this year unpacking parts of myself that I wasn't happy with. And I feel refreshed. I feel new. I feel like a different person. Like I, I, I'm the same person, but I feel like a better person. But not like the better person that's like, ah, I did a good deed today. Let me take a picture of a homeless person that I helped. Like, no, it's not that kind of a better person. I feel like a stronger person because I feel like I'm a more honest person. And I'm at a point in my life where I can't accept not being honest with everybody around me. It just doesn't do my soul right. It doesn't do justice. And I, and I, I abandon myself when I'm not honest with people. And so being able to do that this year has been incredible. Um, and part of that honesty has really helped shape so much of what's good in my life. I have a great relationship now because I'm able to be completely honest with myself. And I'm able to be a better friend to the friends that are uh, maybe away from me. I have a lot of long distance friendships. And so being more honest with myself and discovering more about myself has allowed me to be present for them in a whole new way. So, you know, this has been a shit year, but um, for personal growth, I feel like I've made a lot of progress and I'm not mad about that. I did invest in my life and I did grow. Did I have to? No. Because it'd be completely understandable for anybody to come out of this pandemic a little fucked up. And I don't want anyone listening to think that they had to learn anything. You don't. I would, no one should ever expect you to learn something from trauma as though trauma should be some kind of learning experience. Trauma is trauma. I heard someone describe it as, um, I heard someone describe trauma as being um, either too much, too quickly, or too soon. So things that happen in excess, things like, or life progresses too quickly, or something happens that you're not prepared for. And the pandemic is all of those things. <laughs> so feel free to acknowledge this as a trauma. Because I personally, I think when you can name something as trauma, you can treat it as such. And you're not telling yourself to hurry up and get the fuck over it. Because no one should ever say that to you. So why would you say that to yourself, you know? Um, but yeah, this has been a wild time. Um, I'm feeling more hopeful for the future. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think I have the tools to face a variety of challenges now. Because now, having done so much work on myself, I can look forward to the future and say, you know what, if something crazy happens, I know that I will do my best to act in accordance with with what is best for me and what feels most genuine to me. And I think that's all you really need, right? That you don't need anything else outside of that. So anyway, this has been kind of like a self-help podcast today, <laughs> kind of like a um, reflective podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I did, and I like reflecting. So um, if you want more reflections from me, let me know in the comments or wherever the hell you want to do that. 
But anyway, I'm going to keep this episode short. I'm not going to keep you for too long um, because the pandemic is triggering. So uh, I'd like to move on. Anyway, I love you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you join me on patreon.com and I hope you have a great rest of your weekend or whenever the fuck you're going to listen to this. Love you. Bye.